And, uh, and we're going to start a, a new conversation this morning, which I think for actually a number of months now, for a number of months I've kind of uh, wanted to, to bring to the church. I, I think the reason why this particular subject is so important is that I've had um, over the years, you can imagine being involved in ministry and serving God in different capacities. Uh, I've heard so many thousands and thousands of sermons. Have you? Give me a wave if you're alive at least this morning. Thousands and thousands of sermons. I've heard most, more sermons than Jesus ever wrote. <laughs> Is this for me? Obviously. <laughs> if it gets too much, somebody should sit down. Let the Holy Spirit sit here and watch over me as I speak for now. And um, if I was to be really honest with you, I would have to ask myself how much of all that I've heard actually has really changed my life. Do you ever think like that? Talk to me. I'm not going anywhere this morning. You know, you've heard thousands upon thousands of sermons, heard many, many people over a long period of time tell you all kinds of things. And uh, if you were to stop and think about the impact that that whole process has had on you, I probably would suggest you could maybe pick out maybe five, if you're really, really keen, ten sermons that um, have really impacted you. Either a thought where something just captivated your heart and suddenly you're on this whole kind of journey with God trying to understand something, or someone said something that for them was throwaway, but for you was life-changing. Isn't that just the way the Holy Spirit works sometimes? You know, someone's communicating, not even aware. And um, so if indeed that is probably an accurate description of what happened, I think we've got to be honest enough to say that maybe we're just a little desensitized sometimes to the, the volume of noise <laughs> that sometimes as, as Christians we hear. And I think we've got used to lots of words. Lots and lots of words. And um, I'm not sure that's helpful. I think sometimes in the kingdom of God, less can be more. But when a word comes and we hear God say something, there's usually a couple of things around that moment that are important to identify. We will have already started some kind of journey with what we're about to hear. And so when God speaks in a moment, it's not a moment really, it's movement. It's the Spirit of God already working in us and now bringing us into a place where we're starting to see perhaps something more clearly or something more profoundly um, I always believe that real transformation doesn't just happen in an instant. You know, it's a process. And God takes a word. He plants it in our hearts. The soil of our heart probably has gone through something and we've been prepared to receive it. And then whenever he speaks, it takes root. It finds a place to settle in our lives. And that settlement is our responsivity to what the word of God says. You see, in the parable of the sower, you'll know and I know that the seed in all accounts is exactly the same. The difference between the, the fruitfulness or the, the flourishing that takes place is the condition of the soil. And so over the months I've been with you, can you believe it's nearly a year? No, don't clap. <laughs> Thank you. I know it feels longer. <laughs> it's nearly a year. 
I've wanted to speak on this particular subject because if I'm honest with you, it's a life message. It's not something that I think I ever imagined I would be able to speak on, but it's a, it's a, a truth that for me became the truth in a season of my life. And it happened probably a little in an environment like this where someone began to speak on the heart of God as a father and suddenly I found myself taken away by the Holy Spirit on this great adventure of discovering that truth. I want to talk to you about what I believe is your birthright. I, I look around the church so often, I think we're trying to attain something sometimes that we already have. Do you know that your salvation is certain? You know that it's got nothing to do with you, don't you? You know that it's got everything to do with Jesus, amen? That his blood has secured for you salvation, hallelujah. Christ the Lord has secured for us salvation. You know that you didn't get it by anything you did, and you can't keep it by anything you do? You do know that, don't you? You know, it's not by might, it's not by power, and we've got both, but by his Spirit, God who began this work in you, it's he who continues it, it's he who will complete it. I mean, he does need willing volunteers to be able to partner with him in that process. But if you're thinking for one second that you are going to arrive at heaven through human effort and all of these religious things that we do somehow are hugely impressive and therefore require from God to give you extra blessing, you couldn't be further from the truth. The, 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 the thing that always amazes me is that God chose me. He chose me. I mean, I would not have chosen me. And I certainly wouldn't have chosen you. And you wouldn't choose me. Because at our best, we're flawed. At our best, we're broken. And God, in his infinite wisdom throughout eternity, the span of eternity, looked down on our lives at one point and intersected the way we were living our lives. And we were caught up in the divine romance of God loving us back to life. And that dance continues day after day, week after week in our lives. And he's a really good mover. God is a really good mover. He has steps to show you, moves to impart to you. And uh, it's way beyond strictly capacity. These are eternal in their, their essence. And he teaches us how to move with him. You know that God is always moving. He teaches us how to move with him, how to dance with our father how to stand on his shoes, if you like, and be moved by him. He's not waiting for us to catch the steps. He's teaching us as we walk with him and learn with him. So this particular scripture, I would say probably about nine months ago now, um, while I was praying uh, very earnestly for the church, asking God for wisdom and understanding about how to bring the church into fullness, I was drawn to this scripture, and uh, I'd like you to read it with me, please. It's John chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 10 to 12. This is John speaking of Jesus. It says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And of course, we know what John is referring to here are uh, the Jewish people who have 
waited at this point for hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come, and yet he turns up amongst them, and for all kinds of reasons, they were unable to see him as he truly was. They had all kinds of questions about Jesus, and uh, sadly, did not really recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But look at this phrase. This is just a wonderful phrase. But to all who did receive him. You do know that's you, don't you? The day that you received Christ into your life, everything changed. I mean, you may not have seen it on the surface, but a whole bunch of things began to become available to you. The first one was forgiveness for your sins. Is there anyone here who hasn't sinned? Of course. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that day, that wonderful day, that glorious day, when you receive Jesus as your personal Savior, your sins, can I say this clearly for you, once and forever, once and forever were dealt with. Someone say hallelujah. That wasn't God's ultimate goal. That was a consequence of God's ultimate goal. Because God's ultimate goal wasn't just to free you from sin. God's ultimate goal was to introduce you to him. God's desire has always been, will always be, could never not be, to have relationship with you. So on that day when you received him, yes, your sins were forgiven, but something opened up for you that perhaps for the rest of our earthly lives we're going to spend time exploring, and that is our relationship with God. Jesus came to deal with the obstacle to that relationship, but he also came with an opportunity for something that every human heart longs for, and that truly is to be known by God and to know God. Now, we're looking for the right thing, I think, so often in the wrong places. But on that day when you received him, you had your sins forgiven, your past was dealt with, but your future was secured also. The steps of the righteous are ordained of the Lord, and all of their days are written in his book. In that moment, a whole future opened up for you that we're here today trying to understand and explore, and in many ways, come to terms with. We get to live as saints, even though we know we're sinners. Amen? We get to experience joy, even though we have a real awareness that what we really should deserve is judgment. We get to live in the abundance of the Father's affection, even though we know we have, in many ways, maligned His name and disregarded His place in our lives. And in that day, that wonderful day when you received Him, you received access to the one who is perfect. You received acceptance by the God who delights in you. In that moment, the whole of your life and your eternal destination and reality was changed forever. That day, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. As you received him, you received salvation, but you also received eternal confirmation that you will be with him forever and ever. Amen. That was a glorious day, a glorious day. But to all who did receive him, do we have any receivers here today? Give me a wave if you're a receiver. Can I just encourage you, stay receptive. 
There is so much from him to receive. God has so much to show us. So much to teach me, so much to impart to me, so much to reveal to me, so much to set me free from. Always stay a receiver. Be the best receiver you can possibly be. Can I tell you why? Because just like it says here, there are some who can't receive him. And when you come to a place when you can't receive him, you will find that you will settle and camp on your spiritual journey. Um... Let me tell you this story. When we pastored the Glasgow church, Kevin Pete, who was here a few months ago, was an exceptional mentor to me. I didn't realize that's what he was doing. I mean, God bless that man. He took me to see the football. I mean, I'd never been interested in football, couldn't care less about football. He was doing some kind of father-male bonding thing. It was wasted on me. I remember sitting in the stalls and thinking, gosh, there's a lot of noise about nothing, isn't there? And, and if you've ever gone... If you've ever gone to a football match, and particularly in Scotland, they hate the English. And I think it was Holland they were playing, but somehow there was this chorus about hating the English and stabbing the English and annihilating the English. And, you know, I could not go to the toilet in case I opened my mouth and spoke because I had what they would have thought was an English accent. I thought, I'm going to be stabbed to death at the urinals. <laughs> it's my first attempt to come along to a football match. <laughs> and as we left, he said, was it good? And I said, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I don't know who was doing what. I don't know what was happening on the football pitch. I have no idea what's taking place. I said, it was just good to spend time with you. But actually, he taught me something far more profound than that. That's just an aside. He taught me one time whenever we were at this kind of point in the church. He said, you know, he'd noticed something about leaders. He'd, he'd noticed this, that when they come to their pain threshold, they stop the Holy Spirit. Because they cannot give of themselves in any more ways than they currently are. And you know, when he said it to me, I thought, gosh, that, that's absolutely true. And if it's true for leaders, okay, it's got to be true for us. You have a threshold with God. And he's always pushing it. You have a cutoff. You, you would say to God, come this far, but no further. Say, God, I don't mind you prospering me in my workplace, but could you keep out of the bedroom at home? God, I'm really happy for you to make me significant as far as the world is concerned, but I don't want to give up that part of my life that's secret, and I'd never say to anybody that I'm struggling with it. You see, you have a threshold. There are boundaries that you place in your life concerning the fullness of God. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're wide open. There's no one in this room wide open. No one. And with all of the verbal stuff that we say, I think sometimes it can be rhetoric. I think we like the idea of God being in control, but the reality, that's scary, isn't it? Talk to me. That's scary, isn't it? You know, we say, God, you know, all to Jesus I surrender. Really? And this is the worst line of all in that song. All to him I freely give. I mean, God's had to break some fingers in this room to get things out of your hand. All to him I freely give. Listen to this phrase. I will ever love and trust him. Really? And here's the worst lie of all. In his presence, <laughs> daily live. And we do it. I surrender all. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. 
And it's counterintuitive to us as human beings to give up every part of our life to God. Let me tell you why. Because we don't know that we're no longer orphans trying to make this all work by ourselves. We are fathered by a true and living God. A father who delights in us. Come on, wake up. A father who delights in us. So be the best receiver you can be. Always be receptive to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in revival meetings, um, and we've been in a few. I'm sorry I keep going on about them. But once you've tasted and seen God in those ways, it's very hard to go back to normal. You know, I was never normal to start with. You probably know that anyway. But when you've seen God move in power and lives get transformed, it's very hard just to go back to three songs and a, a, a hymn sandwich. You can't really do that. When you've tasted steak from heaven, ham will never do. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, so I, I'm not banging on about it because I, I have nothing else to say. I'm just trying to say to you, we, we're in this moment where God began to move in power. And uh, I, I remember praying for this lady and she, she was saying, you know, I just want God to do this and I want God to do that. And, want, and she had this long list of things she wanted God to do. And I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, I'd like her to do something. I, I just thought, what does that mean? And he said, tell her to stop lying. Now, I'm not as direct as God. I don't think I've ever said to anyone, get thee behind me, Satan. But the week is young. And who knows what tomorrow brings. Okay, so I just said to her, you know, I feel the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me, you don't have to say all those things. This is the diplomat in me. God knows your heart. And he knows what's real about you. And she looked up at me and she said this to me. She said, I have been lying I don't want God to do certain things because I have a plan for my life. And I said, well, we got there in the end, you know, and that's all that matters. And I said, are you willing to receive God's help to be able to want to receive God's way? And she said, yeah, and we prayed. At some level in every circumstance of your life, you've got to find a place where you can receive. You've got to find that place. I don't know how you find it. It's different for different people. But you can permission God to give him permission to help you give him permission <laughs> to do what he wants to do. Uh, do you know why it's not a, ph a phenomenon that's unusual to us? Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. So always be a receiver. Always be someone who's open to God. To those who believed in his name. Look at what happens here in these moments. There's a group of people who should have known better and they didn't see it. There was a group of people who didn't know at all and they got to see it. Okay? People who did not expect or suspect that God would be remotely interested in them. And suddenly they are confronted by divine love. And that completely turned their world upside down and inside out. And they received Jesus to themselves. And we have received Jesus for ourselves in our lives. But we also need to believe in his name. And what does that mean? Well, it simply means this. That no matter who you're taking advice from. And uh, I think we do. Um, I think Lorraine Kelly gives advice every day of the week. If you're interested. Yeah, I think Oprah has lots of advice. Don't you like? I like advice. I think if you turn on, what is that one with the guy? Jeremy, 
No, not Jeremy Kyle. That's, get your trash mind out of the trash. I'm not talking Jeremy Kyle, for goodness sake. He's not, it used to be Jeremy Vine. Jeremy Vine. All you can get advice on how to pay your bills. I don't need advice on how to pay them. I just need the money to find to pay them. I think we know how to pay them. You can get advice on everything, relationships. I mean, the world is full of advice. And sometimes I think we take that kind of mindset and we place it before God. We actually foolishly, genuinely believe that God is advising us. God never gives advice. He gives instruction. God's not, this is not a two-sided conversation sometimes. <laughs> he just says, stop it and walk freely. That doesn't sound like advice, does it? It's direction. He gives instruction. So when we say that we believe in his name, what we really need to understand is what that means. Is what we're saying is he has the only word and the final word and the complete word on everything pertaining to my life. Now, I don't want to ask the question, but I can't resist it. I'm naughty. How are you doing on that? I think that's really hard, don't you? Don't you? Talk to me, come on. That's hard, isn't it? A God I don't see is telling me how I should be and what I should believe. Now, if it was not for the Holy Spirit, who brings a wonderful thing, you may want to ask him for more of this called conviction. If it was not for the Holy Spirit, who brings conviction about matters pertaining to truth. I think many of us, we'd have just carried on living the life we were living and added Jesus to it. And when God brings conviction, the wonderful thing about conviction, it doesn't have any guilt attached to it. Okay, conviction is like a door. You can walk through conviction. God, God never corners you without an opportunity for you to grow. If God takes you into a corner and hems you in, and trust me, he does hem people in sometimes. He's not doing it so you don't have options. He's doing it so that you don't make the wrong option. And you see this is the only possible way for this to change. And in every place where there's conviction, there's a gateway to blessing. If I follow what God is asking me to do, I come through conviction. I don't stay there forever. I come through conviction into a spacious place where I'm blessed. Why? Because he starts a work in me he wants to complete. And so consequently, I, when I believe his word and I apply his word to my life, I find myself challenged. Don't you? I get a little upset sometimes, I must be honest. People come to me and say, you're very challenging. You're very challenging, Pastor Simon. And I think they mean it nicely. I think I'm not trying to be challenging. I mean, I can be really challenging. You take me out for a night out, I'll challenge you. Okay? You take me to a shop. Let me t explain to you. I come from a, a family that never pay full whack for anything. I don't care whether it's Harrods. Okay, I will bargain with whoever it is because I want the best possible deal I can get. I remember when I first started dating Jane, we went along to Harrods. We just, sorry, we just got married and we bought our first sofa together on the fourth floor of Harrods. I think it's called House of the Harrods, House of Fraser. I used to call it Rackham's. Do you remember Rackham's, anybody? Yeah. yeah. 
And you know, I, I'd never shopped in Rackham's. I'd looked, but I'd never shopped. <laughs> okay, we're on the fourth one. We buy that. And the guy says, well, that will be 1,500 pounds. I said, oh, it won't. And he looked at me, and Jane's like this, oh, gosh. <laughs> he said, well, maybe 1450 Oh, no. <laughs> I think we came out with a sofa for about 750 pounds that was 1500 pounds. And I don't mind how long I have to wait for you to see the truth about what's happening in front of you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind. You can take an hour. You can take two. I'm in no hurry. <laughs> Someone came round to our house last week to sell us blinds. Have you ever had Hillary's in? To blinds? I don't know what they're making the curtains with. There must be gold threads from elves in Afghanistan. Okay, and the lady came with this figure at the end. He could have bought a car. She bought a car. And her husband, who was with her, he said to me, You know, is that price good for you? I just went. I said, Let me tell you what I'm willing to pay. And he laughed nervously. I said, you do realize that I send the invisible. I sell the invisible to the improbable. <laughs> and he looked at me. I said, I'm a minister. He said, oh, I've met your kind before. <laughs> like we're some tribe. I can't say that I can receive him and not say I believe him. I, those two things are part of the same reality. He either is God, he is the Lord who forgives my sins and cleanses my soul and restores my relationship with the Father. And alongside that comes this wonderful revelation that he never gives advice, but he only speaks truth. And because he loves me, he tells me the truth. Because he loves me too much to leave me the way I am, he keeps on telling me the truth. Until I am changed from one degree of glory to the next. And somehow when I get to heaven, the work of Christ is so profound in our lives that we meet with him and we are like him. But it's this last phrase that I want to camp on. I won't take too much of your time today. He gave those who received him and those who believed in his name. Those are the prerequisites to this reality. He gave them the right the right to become children of God. You, if you are a born-again believer today, if you have received Him and you believe in His name, you have a birthright in your new relationship with God that you don't have to earn and you don't have to aspire to. All you can do with it is accept it as your truth. We sing it, don't we? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We sing it, we declare it, we pronounce it. But actually, what God wants for us is more than just a, a mental agreement or assent to a truth. He wants this reality to become our truest reality. He wants us to live in the fullness of the Father's love. He wants us to know Him as a good Father. And He wants us to flourish in our relationship with him. You see, when it comes to our understanding of the person and the role of God the Father, sadly in church life, we seem to fall into two distinct categories. They're almost polarizing in their nature. Perhaps you can put that slide up for me. 
One is this, that God the Father is somehow passive in our relationship. We understand we need Jesus. We accept that the work of the Holy Spirit always connects us and keeps us connected to the reality of what Jesus has indeed afforded to us. But what actual role does the Father play in the day-to-day living of our lives? And for many, many Christians, having walked with God a long, long time, they still have come to the place where they would honestly maybe declare that they don't really know God as a Father. They've not really experienced something of His nature in that way. And the reason for that is very, very clear. We have all lived like orphans for so long. (laughs) We have all done what we needed to do to survive or maybe even thrive in this world. And submitting to the reality of God as a Father, I think, is a consistent and persistent yielding of ourselves to the truth of who He truly is. You are not an orphan anymore. You are fathered by a true and living God. And guess what? He is not indifferent. He is not distant. He is not absent. He is right here in the middle of your life, working and ministering to you to bring you back to the fullness of your original design before the world scarred and marred your perception of you and life and truth. God goes deep. As a father, he goes deep into our lives to heal us and restore us. The Bible says that we are adopted in his family. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And that's really good news because some days you try to unchoose him but he will never stop choosing you. The Father is for you. The Father is with you. The Father delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, and it says this, The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. He's right here, right here with you right now. And he is mighty to save. There is no end to his power. Your heavenly Father is not impotent, distant, beyond the capacity of intervening and changing the realities of how you live. He has all sufficiency, all power. Everything is at his disposal, and he is with you. The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty to save. And that salvation is not a one-time operation 20 years ago. That's all day, every day, consistently, throughout the whole course of eternity. His salvation power is at work in your life. He is not sleeping. He is working in you and on your behalf. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God in the midst of thee is mighty to save He rejoices over you with singing. Now, I don't know what you think God thinks of when he looks at you. But I'm telling you today, he's not angry. I'm telling you today, he's not disinterested. God can't take his eyes off you. You miserable beggars. (laughs) He can't take his eyes off you. You are the focus of the Father's love. And every way possible, it's more than a concept in our heads. He doesn't want us just to have a theology around his fathering nature. He wants us to have the reality in a consistent, permanent place in our hearts and lives. As we live in a very broken world, may we be the people that carry the revelation of the Father heart of God. Amen.
Amen. Now, if you don't think he's absent, you probably think he's angry. I've counseled so many people over the years, and when they start to talk about their life and how they're walking things out with Jesus, these are the two extreme categories that we often someone's in the middle. But one thing that always turns up is God is disappointed in me, Pastor. And I listen because I'm polite. And I said, don't be daft. You can only be disappointed in someone you had expectations on in the first place. God knows you're a sinner. He knows what you're like. I think one of the biggest revelations I ever had in the early part of my life is, um, I may not have kept this much of a secret, but I used to be Catholic. You know, and Catholics are professionally guilty. I mean, I used to be guilty because I didn't feel guilty. And one of the concepts of guilt, because everything was about not being good enough. I grew up in an environment where everything related to God, I was bad, he was good, get over it. And so consequently, every time I went along to church initially as a Christian, I would just cry and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry. And, and I had this wonderful ministry of repenting. I have repented over everything. I have repented over things I never said and never did, just in case somebody should. Somebody should repent over that, so I repented. I was so indoctrinated in my belief that God was angry with me. He was disappointed with me. He had, there was nothing about me that he found particularly pleasing. It's almost like he had to endure me. His love endures forever. And so when I would come to church, I'd be apologizing for everything. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I let you down. I had a bad thought. I'm so sorry, Jesus. I said this in a manner I shouldn't have said it. I'm so sorry, Jesus. I really wanted that extra donut. And I know I shouldn't have had it, Jesus. But please forgive me because I need, I don't need it, but I crave it, God. Why did you make sugar so attractive in the first place, Jesus? What's wrong with you? Everything about my relationship with God was based on guilt. I thought he was angry. In the Catholic Mass, we used to beat our chests. Not quite that hard. I almost broke a rib there. Because but... we were just bad people. And God was angry. And if I didn't repent, the mighty smiter would smite me from heaven. I repented. Do you know, every time I came to church, I'd sit outside for half an hour saying, God, I'm so sorry about this. Please forgive me about that. I had such an overzealous sense that God was angry. And you know, you're laughing at me, but some of you actually think that's true. You actually genuinely think that God might be displeased with you. Do you know why I know that? Because you try as hard as you can to keep him happy. And if you really thought that through, you can't possibly imagine for one second that you can change the mood of heaven. In heaven, they rejoice night and day. <laughs> you know when it says that uh, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to faith? Do you know why it's rejoicing? Because it was rejoicing anyway. <laughs> it's always rejoicing. Oh, the lamb that was slain. Hallelujah. Heaven's permanent reality is one of celebration. Now, some of you who are miseries by occupation 
may need some help for God to bring you up to that kind of level. So God's heaven doesn't kind of stop when you say something. You know, they're all rejoicing and suddenly the angels go, "Uh uh-oh. I used to have what I would call a Britney Spears anointing. Whoops, I did it again. (laughs) I did it again, Jesus. I don't know why I keep doing it. One of my favorite scriptures, (laughs) I used to meditate on this scripture. You'll laugh, but it's actually true. I lived in this scripture. Oh, wretched man that I am. (laughs) I do not do the things I want to do, but the things I don't want to do, these things I keep on doing. What is this that wages its war in me but sin? And my sinful nature. I camped there for three years. So you can imagine, can't you? Every time I came to church and every time anyone preached and any time anybody communicated about God, in my mind, the mighty spider was on the loose. And so consequently, I could only do one thing and that's hide behind Jesus. Like somehow Jesus is some kind of protection from the God who is angry. At humanity for their filth. You do know God's Irish, don't you? (laughs) For their filthy, dirty, rotten sins. (laughs) Now people say to me, you know, well, what does that really mean? If I think God is either passive or I think God is really angry, I will have a paradigm And I will live according to those perspectives. If I think God is passive, I'll just do what I want to do. And I'll fall into the trap of thinking, if I just say sorry at the end of it, there are no consequences. If I think God is angry, I'll spend my whole life trying to please a God that's already happy. God is already happy. Do you know why God is happy? Not because you're perfect, but His perfect Son took your place on a cross. And between you and him, he doesn't see your brokenness. He sees Jesus' beauty. When he looks at your life, he sees the completed work of Christ. And that blesses his heart. And hidden underneath that is your broken reality. That's why we are hidden in Christ. And more importantly, God is buried in us by the power of his spirit. We need God in those ways. And we need to be clear about who God is. If I think God is absent, I'll marry who I want. I'll go to whatever church I want. I'll read whatever books I want. And I'll spend my money however I want, wherever I want, on whatever I want. Because if he's disinterested and distant, how I live here today has no consequence to him. And you know what we're doing when we do that? We're taking our earthly experiences of fatherhood and we're projecting them onto the God who claims to be our father. And I want to tell you today, so many Christians are living in paralysis as a result of that kind of thinking. They can't engage with God. They don't feel God's presence. They don't sense God's leading. They can't hear God's voice. Hardly surprising, therefore, The reason for that is that they have a paradigm shaped by earthly experiences of fatherhood that they're projecting on a God who is so much more than any earthly father could be. And that's called being an orphan. 
You know, when you're an orphan, you don't trust anyone. When you're an orphan, you don't belong to anyone. When you're an orphan, you're competing with everyone. Because if I don't get the slice of the cake, he or she will. When you're an orphan, you have no rest, no peace, and no sense of that reality in your heart. And so if God is an angry God to you or a distant God to you, I'm telling you today, that has to change. And it has to change because Jesus has provided for you a new and living way. It's new because it's not old. So whatever you think you know about God in that way, you're going to have to put it to one side. And it's living because it causes you to be fully alive and fully connected to the God who delights in you. Is God the Father either passive or aggressive to you? Whichever he may be, Father, help us be free from that. It's so important that we know who God is as he really is. Because without it, I think we just bumble along in life and never really experience him in all his fullness. And there are, and we will explore them together over these next few weeks, four experiences that we are created for and called to have with God. I would call them four birthrights, if you like. The first one is this. It may sound very obvious to you, but you have a new father. And your new heavenly father, you don't really know him. You are growing in your capacity to understand him. But I want to say this to you with all respect to any man in this room who's a father, and I want myself. He's not like your earthly dad. Now, if you've had an earthly father who was absent or aggressive, I was chatting with someone the other day, um, and they were telling me about their dad. And um, they were telling me that their dad was in ministry. And they were telling me that in spite of all that he knew to be true theologically, he was absent from the home distracted consistently. He avoided intimacy like the plague. And yet this is a man who walks with God. You would say, how could that possibly be? I think it's possibly true because we are in many ways a reflection of the father we've had ourselves. You know, if you've never been fathered, how do you know how to father? If there was ever a generational curse that existed in our world, it's fatherlessness. I'm just saying. In the words of Amos, you get me? You get me? <laughs> He's teaching me. He's teaching me his ways. Teach me your ways, O oh Amos, that I may walk in them all the days of my life. <laughs> you have a new father. And guess what? He's good. In fact, he's perfect. He's perfect in every which way you could possibly imagine. And I do encourage you to start imagining how good he is. Whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, these things think upon. I think we spend most of our life as casualties to our past. And we need to become susceptible to our futures. 
The God who invited you out of sin has invited you into relationship with him. And Jesus came to demonstrate what that relationship can look like. Jesus lived consistently in unity and closeness and intimacy with his father. And look what he did in the short life he had. Can you imagine how our lives would change if we live with that kind of clarity and that kind of reality? You have a new father. He's not angry. He's not distant. He's here. He's very proactive in your life. Let me tell you why. Because from the foundations of the earth, he knew you. Jesus was his agent. Jesus came to reveal him, but actually Jesus said these words himself. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And listen to the invitation attached to the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except they come through me. So Jesus is inviting us to a place of intimacy with his Father. That's just not about getting rid of sin. That's about living in fullness. That's about living in the reality of the God who delights in you, who cherishes you, who in many ways we're coming to know. Second thing, second revelation that we need in our lives, and these are all part of this. This is why it's so important for us to know God as Father. We need to be aware of the Father's affection. Have you ever thought about how powerful words are? Some of us in this room are still trying to work out from things that were said to us 20, 30 years ago what really is true about us. There used to be an old, um, I think it probably was a, a, a rhyme of some description, it used to say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't know who wrote that, but daft. They were absolutely daft. And, and I think over the course of my life, of words that have been spoken over my life, and um, I'm still trying to work out whether those things were or weren't true. When I was at school, I was the last person picked for the sports team. And do you know why? Because the boys that played sports, they didn't want me on their team. Okay? Now, I was a good runner. We're good runners in our family. We've had to with the police. <laughs> to be quite swift. Quick. To get out quickly. And leave no trace that you were ever there. Okay? But we were good runners. But I was lousy at football. I hate football. You can imagine going with Kevin Pete to the football match, how excited I was. <laughs> I hate football. I don't understand what they're doing. It seems to me like it's a whole bunch of men running around a bag of air in a field. <laughs> Ladies, are you with me? I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I, I think it's tribalism. Forgive me, Father, for I know exactly what I do. I just never got it, never got it. I don't, I'm not really competitive when it comes to sports, so um, never got it. And they knew it, and they detested me for it, and so they would leave me sitting. My greatest role was looking after the coats. <laughs> I tell you what, if there was anything to be had from those coats, I had them. <laughs> it's always a win-win. <laughs> I didn't. Okay? And so, you can imagine, can't you, with people's words, 
shape your understanding of yourself. It came as a shock to me many years later when I actually was quite good at gymnastics. Oh, I'm your flexible friend. <laughs> and as a dancer back then, I, oh, please don't say it's hard to imagine. I used to be very nimble and very capable and actually, without much training, quite good at fitting in with people who had years of training because I realized I had skills that perhaps didn't turn up on the football field and they were a little bit more refined than kicking somebody in a shin or getting a ball through a net, but actually they were equally as valuable. Well, to this day, if, you were, if we ever go anywhere with the church, I never do sports. Why? Because somebody somewhere told me something that defined and consequently confined the way I perceived myself. Words have power. Do you know why they have power? Because when God created man, he gave Adam the power of attorney to determine the identity of the animals that were going to be created. In the book of James, it says this about the tongue. The tongue has the power of life and death. Okay, and if you can arrest the tongue and, and keep your tongue in check, you've kept your life in check. That's how important that is. So, when there's a, an anointing and a governmental truth attached to what we say, we should not be shocked that what people have said about us has an impact on the way we think and the way we act and the way we live our lives. And you know what? We are all victims of people using their tongue for all the wrong reasons. And people have said all kinds of things about you that were never true. They couldn't possibly be real. And you've had therapy and deliverance and prayer and ministry and those words still have power and authority. Why? Because not only did they get said to you, somehow over time when they were said repeatedly, you came into agreement with them and thought, well, this must be true about me. It's more than one voice telling me that I'm bad at this, more than one voice telling me I'm not good enough for him, more than one voice. And when you have multiple voices, you don't think this is just accidental, do you? You do know that we're in a battle here and the enemy comes to steal, to rob and destroy. Amen? So the, all of these assignments that are brought to you, they become confinements when you agree with them, when two or more agree on something it happens to be. And so when I was little and people said these things for me, that was one thing. But when I started to believe they were true, that was two things. And where two things come together, we have a whole thing, which is a demonic stronghold. And the enemy can come in and out of that at any time he wants because I have agreed to a lie and believed it and perceived it as a truth. It's time for us to not walk under lies. You need, you need to come out from under the words that are spoken and stand in the midst of the fountain of God's affection and let Him speak life over you. Let Him speak truth over you. The Bible says, whose report will you believe? Well, God knows I've got a catalog of reports. But we shall believe the report of the Lord. You need not just to recognize that you are adopted by God. He is your new father. But this father I speak of has an endless stream 
of affirmation that he longs to pour out over your life. Stand under the fountain and allow that to wash you and cleanse you and heal you. For you have been conformed to a pattern this world has imposed upon you. Now transformed. As he renews the way you see things, you'll start to live differently. And that's not a one-off event. That's a consistent pursuing of truth. So you have a father who's adopted you. A father who has affection towards you. You have a father who has a perception about you. Can I tell you that it's very different than your own perception about you? <laughs> Can I tell you that the father's perception of you will blow your mind apart? What God sees, you can't see right now. Probably because of all of these words that were spoken. But when you allow your life to be shaped by how God declares you to be and perceives you to be, you start to live in Christ's victory. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because the Father's affection and the Father's perception has redefined a new reality for me. I'm not who you think I am, but I am who I am by the grace of God. I live in this new reality where God's perception and God's affection and God's adoption of me is far more powerful and far more present than any report or any position anyone may have pertaining my life. You know, last week I sat somewhere and I was saying to God, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like where I am. I'm talking about location. I'm talking about vocation. I don't like where I am. I said, what happened to me, God? And you know, God's not always quick to answer. Have you noticed that? So after about two days, I'm sitting somewhere and I hear something. And it's a song, actually. And it reminded me. In fact, we sung it this morning. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And in my mind... Okay, in my imagination, I was taken back to a place called Lakeland, where I stood in a crowd of thousands of people as a revival was taking place. And I remember saying to God in those moments, God, will you use my life for the extension of your kingdom? God, would you work through us? We're just ordinary people, but do something extraordinary through us. I was crying out to God. For the fulfillment of the destiny I believe that he had created me from the foundations of the earth to fulfill. I, I am not, you probably have guessed this, I'm not a local church pastor. I have a mandate on my life to see revival come to the nation. I'm so sorry if you wanted something different. I can only be who I am. Okay, but what I mean by revival isn't that we're all singing songs at the top of our voices. What I mean by revival is that the Spirit of God is fully awakened in the church. I think you might want that too. And by the way, you are the church. Okay? And actually through the church into the world around us. I can do pastoring, but actually my greatest call in life is to see the kingdom of God move in power. And, and I can't apologize for that, but I have been apologizing for that. Okay? And so as the song played two or three days ago, I thought, Whose report have I believed? Who, who told me that this can't be my reality? 
Who has assigned for me something lesser or different than God has indeed called me to? And I started to repent. And I said, God, I'm so sorry, but I believed some lies. Now, please listen carefully. I'm not saying I'm great. I know I'm not great. But I do worship a God who is great and can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. I don't need to work it all out. I just need to agree that God can work it all out. And so I started to repent. I feel I've had breakthrough. I feel that God is showing me. And today the confirmation of that for me is that we sang the song. And as we worshipped, I wept. Not because I'm repentant, because I did that two days ago. But because I'm expectant. God is going to do something through my ordinary broken life. Now you can hang around and see it. Or you can find some other way that's a bit easier to be. Because this won't be easy. You do know that, don't you? Because we all want it, but we don't want it. It's a bit like surrender. I surrender all. We all want it, but we don't want it. So who, who's speaking truth over you, Jane? Absolutely. And it's the only place. Stand with me, lovely. We just stand there like this. Mm-hmm. And we allow the Father to speak. We allow the mantle of his truth to rest upon our bodies. We allow the deep things he has in his heart for us to become our realities. We disengage from the other voices that have tried to shape or misshape our truth. And we, we speak directly to the king. In fact, God would say, look into my eyes. Because when you look into my eyes, Jane, you'll see the truth. You'll see who I am. You'll see what I have for you. You'll see the reality of who you are. Look into my eyes and and that that whole gaze which you have been created for is for God to commune with you in a way that changes everything about you it transforms your capacity from somebody who's just human trying to get it right into this incredible love explosion where God takes over and has his way with you and in you and through you. And that's what Christianity is. Mm-hmm. That's why Jesus died. Not to give us church, yeah. but to give us life. Mm-hmm. He came to give us life and life in all its fullness. Mm-hmm. So we cut off mm-hmm. the words spoken. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're not the truth. Mm-hmm. Hello, stay with me, please. We break the assignments of the enemy over Jane's yeah. life. Why? Because he's a liar. He's always been a liar. He can't help himself but lie. But there is one who speaks the truth. And when he speaks it over her life, she rises in fullness. She blossoms without effort. She becomes everything she's destined to be. Because Christ in her is forming a new reality. And that reality is freedom and liberty and joy and blessing. Sitting, standing under the fountain of God's affection. Where the word that is spoken, which has power transforms everything like that. And you have to walk with God through that process as you are made new and made new and made whole and being restored because God is relentless in his pursuit of bringing you back to fullness. And the fourth revelation is that you don't know this today and you can't see it very clearly as can't I. But you have no idea yet. Not one jot of an idea of how much blessing the Father wants to bring to your life. Now, I'm not talking finances because you can have all the money in the world and be the most miserable beggar on the planet. Okay? And I have met some of you. I mean, some people like that. 
Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well. And we're singing notes only dogs can hear now. So if they do rush in. You have a new father. It's more than information, it's revelation. You are sitting currently under the auspices of the Father's affection and affirmation. Enjoy Him, for He must be enjoyed because He enjoys you. He has a perception on your life that you have yet to fully realize. And it's not the broken, weak, feeble individual you consider yourself to be. You are a shining light, a bright, glorious, shining light of the Father's affections. Arise, shine in that light. And he has so many blessings. So many blessings. That's why, over these next few weeks, we're going to ask him some questions. We're going to start with this one. Well, who are you, God? Because if I have any presumptions that you're anything less than you truly are, I'm living an inferior reality than the one that Jesus purchased for me. And I don't want to do that. So, Father, you may need to take some things down to build some things up in my thinking. But do what you need to do by the grace that's afforded to me. Lord God, I want to live not for the sound of a word who celebrates me and then criticizes me, but the God who has affection towards me in every which way possible. And everything that drips from your mouth, God, into my heart becomes a reality. I want to live under the fountain of the expression of your heart for me. Father, I want to see myself the way you see me. Anything less than that is me not living in the victory that Jesus Christ has afforded me. And Father, I'm getting ready to be blessed because I believe there's so much more that you have for me as your son, us as your children, than we currently have. And I don't want my ability to receive, which is often retarded and restricted, to confine what you want to give. Stand with me, please. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. To make a wretch his treasure The Father turns his face away Bring many sons to glory. Father, thank you. Abba, my God, my Lord. You are not absent or indifferent to our lives. You are here. You are the God of joy the God of peace, and the God of power. The truth is, Lord, today, the Lord, our God, our Father in heaven, in the midst of us, is mighty to save. 
There's nothing I face today. You don't have power over God. No weakness or woundedness in my soul you cannot heal. You are all sufficient. You are mighty to save God. And not only will you save, Lord, but your heart is so full of love for us that you rejoice over us with singing. We say over this moment, sing your song, O God, that we may stand under the fount of your affection and find our lives redefined by your perspective and your truth. Let everything else that's a lie fade right now in Jesus' name. May all the allegations and accusations that other humans have brought to our table, let them fall to the ground, Lord, as only you are able to do, Lord. Raise us up in the reality of our truest identity, sons and daughters of the living God. Father, we thank you that you have given us birthrights through your son, Jesus. We have a new father. He is good and his love endures forever. Father, we thank you that you have only words of life to speak over us. You are not angry. You are not distant. You are not removed from our circumstance. And when you speak, Lord, your voice is like the sound of many rushing waters. It brings healing and restoration to our souls. We say, come, Lord, have your way in and through us. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that we are no longer orphans trying to make our way in a world that's so hostile. We have been adopted by you, Father. We belong to God. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. So quiet us, we pray, Lord. Let our hearts be at peace, for you are with us. You are for us, and because of that, no weapon fashioned against us could ever prosper. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond. as we step into our week we ask for these four glorious revelations and experiences to materialize in our lives for without them Lord God we don't truly and can't truly say that we know you as you really are and if we don't know you as you really are we'll never know who we really are so God bless us in our adventure 
into the depths and the breadths and the heights and the lengths of your heart as a father for us. And let your affection rest on our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you, church. Have a good week.